Folks, we're sponsored today by Donors Trust, the tax-friendly way to preserve your charitable giving. In times of crisis, those with a giving spirit and a desire to build up civil society find ways to be helpful. And that's when it's good to have a charitable resource ready to deploy when they're needed most. Donors Trust offers donor-advised funds or giving accounts. You can use these funds as your own charitable investment account and manage your charitable giving in a way that's smart, tax-advantaged, aligned with your values, and private. Donors Trust clients are using their funds to support charities helping their local communities while also using their giving account to simultaneously support think tanks and liberty-minded organizations that believe our constitutional rights shouldn't get lost in a time of emergency. Now is the time to take a closer look at Donors Trust and join their community of liberty-minded donors by opening a donor-advised fund. Go to DonorsTrust.org slash JustNews for the ultimate survival guide to charitable giving and learn how a donor advised fund can preserve your ability to give to the charities you love. That's DonorsTrust.org slash Just News. Hello, America, and happy Wednesday. A lot going on in the world today. Just a little while ago, Congressman Jim Jordan, Congressman James Comer, they're the chairman of the Judiciary and Oversight Committees. They're the leaders of the impeachment inquiry. They just sent a letter to Hunter Biden's lawyer saying, all right, we heard you're not going to show up. Hunter Biden's not going to show up next Wednesday, December 13th for his transcribed interview, his deposition. Be advised, we will hold you in contempt of Congress. Yes, the impeachment inquiry is getting a little more rancorous, a little more contentious. Republicans mean business. Hunter Biden's delay game, the sand clock may be running out on. This could be headed to court. Now, that sets up a very busy week. Now, yesterday, we got some bombshell new revelations from the IRS whistleblowers, Gary Shapley and Joe Ziegler. They revealed, first, they confirmed the story that we broke on Justin News three weeks ago. You got it here first on the show, remember? That a Democrat lawyer, Hollywood supporter of Joe Biden, a guy named Kevin Morris, provided more than $5 million of loans and money so that Hunter Biden could pay his bills all throughout the 2020 election and since then, since Joe Biden has been in office. Now, if any other president's son got $5 million from a single donor, structured as loans that aren't due until well after the next election, there'd be a lot of suspicion. But not in today's media. They've yawned at this, but we broke this story because we got the documents early. Last night, uh, the Ways and Means Committee and Chairman Comer and Chairman Jordan as well, so Chairman Smith, Jason Smith, James Comer, they put out this new information and it affirms our reporting that this Democrat donor and Hollywood lawyer, Kevin Morris, gave about $5 million or more in assistance to Hunter Biden. Basically, paid off his bills, his tax debts, his tax cheating debts, his expenditures for homes, his child support and legal bills. A lot of us would love to have a $5 million sugar daddy if we could, but we don't. But Joe, uh, but Hunter Biden did. And uh, that information is now out in the public. And what you also get is a confirmation of another story that we broke earlier this year, that Joe Biden used three separate alias email addresses to correspond with Hunter Biden's business partners, 
and Hunter Biden. The two most voluminous are Hunter Biden himself talking to his dad through these alias email accounts and Eric Schwerin, a man who played a big role in accounting for a lot of the business deals and businesses and taxes that Joe and Hunter Biden were involved with. That is a big revelation. So all that is out. Then today we learned that if Hunter Biden's not going to show up for the deposition and they're going to find him in contempt of court if he doesn't show up next Wednesday. In between now and next Wednesday, Speaker Mike Johnson is planning a, a vote to formally approve the impeachment inquiry. And you're probably saying, well, it's already been ongoing, so why do that? It seems like window dressing. It's actually not. A formal vote on the floor of the House that approves the impeachment inquiry will strengthen the hand of Comer and Jordan and Smith to go to court and demand that subpoenas be enforced, that people be held in contempt, be compelled to testify or turn over documents key to this investigation. So that is the process that's playing out that is so, so very important. Now, while that's going on halfway across the world, Israel is ramping up its war against Hamas, the terrorists who carried out that heinous October 7th massacre of innocent civilians all across Israel, 1,400 innocent civilians, rape, beheadings, baking, ovens. It's some of the most heinous acts of inhumanity I've ever seen in my life or heard of in my life. Well, as that war ramps up, we've got a perfect first guest today to help us understand what's going on. He's the former Israeli ambassador to the United States. He used to be a senior member in the cabinet in Israel, a former member of the Israeli military. Michael Oren, our good friend, is here. He's going to tell us not only how the war is going to end up, but what happens in a post-Hamas Gaza. What are the pressure points? What are the opportunities? What are the policy ideas? And by the way, one of those ideas that Michael Oren's been talking about is one that Donald Trump invented back in his first administration. It's getting a lot of attention again as a possible solution in a post-Hamas world. Donald Trump's peace plan for Gaza bubbling up to the top of a lot of people's ideas. Even Democrats is saying that it's not a bad idea. We're going to talk about that a little bit during the extraordinary conversation we're about to have with Michael Oren. One other big important piece of information, because you ask about it often, FISA reform. Well, the House Judiciary Committee, in a bipartisan fashion, in fact, 35 to 2 was the final vote, so Democrats and Republicans voted to pass the Protect Liberty and End Warrantless Surveillance Act. This reigns in the FBI's FISA powers and their Section 702 rummaging through your phone records. It now is going to require a warrant, in most cases, to access or review anyone's phone data, including their metadata, a big improvement for civil liberties, a big reigning in of an FBI bureaucracy that for many years was looking through yours and mine and others' phone records without having to get a warrant. The world's about to change. The Senate, well, first it has to go to the House floor, but given the vote in the committee, it looks pretty likely that this will pass. It will then go to the Senate, where it has a great opportunity. If the Senate doesn't act, I think that FISA powers will expire. The Section 702 powers will survive. Now, why is this important that it was 35-2? It comes two days after the FBI director testified, pleading with Congress, don't change it, just renew it the way it is, Democrats and Republicans alike said, no, sir, we're not going to do that this time. We did it too many times. You keep violating American civil liberties. Remember that report earlier this year, 278,000 Americans' phone records looked at improperly, illegally, unlawfully, in violation of the FBI's own rules that they claim they're trying to follow. Well, that was the breaking back, uh, the straw, straw that broke the camel's back. And today, people like Jerry Nadler, liberal New Yorker, and Andy Biggs, conservative Arizona, they were in lockstep with each other, bipartisan success that will 
protect American civil liberties for generations to come, should it become law? There are big questions. Will Joe Biden sign it? Will the Senate pass it? Will the House pass it? I think the House is going to pass it based on what we saw in the Judiciary Committee. Let's see what happens in the Senate. But a piece of historic and good news for Americans, uh, some, some of the people's business getting done in Washington for once and in bipartisan fashion, which we love to see. So I think that this is an exciting day, a lot of news. We're going to have a lot of folks here in the second half of the show. It is Wednesday. So it means it's AMAC Wednesday, our chance to talk to our good friend, Bobby Charles, one of the most learned and smartest observers of anyone I know in Washington or outside of it. They know he understands Washington from the inside out, how the courts work, how the Congress works, how the executive branch works, because he served in all three places in very senior positions. And that's what makes this conversation each week so very exciting. All right, we're going to turn to that in a second, so don't worry. But in the meantime, I'm very excited to say we are in the moment. You know, it's Christmas time. You're looking for a unique Christmas gift. Maybe you got an aunt and uncle, a grandma, grandpa, a mother or dad, and you've gotten them all the things you can think of. They don't need their kitchen appliances. They don't need new clothes. They got the car of their choice, the house of their choice. They take their vacations. What can you give that would make a big difference in their lives. I've got an idea for it because it's one of my favorite investments I've made in 2023. How about a membership to the Association of Mature American Systems, AMAC? It's AMAC Wednesday. Uh, It's a great gift to give to someone else or to give to yourself. I actually think that that's as good an idea. How about we go today to amac.us, A-M-A-C, dot U-S slash Just News. Go sign up. If you sign up using that URL, you're going to get some money off the subscription. I did the five-year subscription. It's about a buck a month. That is a bargain. You're going to save that 10 times over when you start using your AMAC card to buy tickets and hotels and make reservations. You're also going to get incredible savings on insurance products. It is an incredible gift that pays for itself, but then all the other benefits that come with it. The extraordinary opportunity to have a conversation with your legislator, your member of Congress about policy solutions, things like the Patient Act, an opportunity to go out and be an election observer and make sure that it's easy to vote and hard to cheat. Those are just one of the many, many things that AMAC makes available. Of course, the discounts come. You get the monthly magazine, which is a gorgeous, glossy magazine with great writing. You get daily newsletters and daily information from the website. A great podcast with Rebecca Weber, my good friend. It is an incredible investment. Go make it today. Go give it as a gift to someone who's hard to get good gifts for. They will cherish it for years to come amac.us slash just news amac.us slash just news all right folks we'll be right back with former ambassador michael orton right after these messages all right folks as we draw near to another critical election it's not only about casting your vote it's about elevating your voice making your voice be heard amac is more than just a senior discount organization they unite like-minded patriots like you and i committed to preserving our cherished values and actively opposing the leftist agenda that's sweeping across America. Just look at their recent victories. AMAC members helped to push forward an investigation into practices that inflate drug prices. They successfully defeated ranked choice voting in order to protect traditional voting methods, and they've also helped block a federal takeover of elections. As AMAC's membership grows, Washington is listening. Every new member strengthens this movement. If you love America, visit AMAC, AMAC.us slash just news to become a four-year member for just 
$30. That's a great discount. AMAC is not only better for America, it's better for you. Membership gives you access to the AMAC magazine, free social security and Medicare guidance, money-saving discounts, trusted news, sweepstakes, and so much more. It's a community, not a service. Take advantage of our election year sale, four years for just $30 at AMAC. By joining over 2 million Americans, they can't ignore your voice in Washington anymore. Join now at AMAC, AMAC.us slash just news. That's AMAC.us forward slash just news. You know what, folks? Stress may be why you can't lose weight. If you've got moderate to high stress like I do, a doctor-formulated weight loss supplement called Lean could be your solution. Chronic stress wreaks havoc on blood sugar, which can cause your body to store excess fat. Stress can also slow your metabolism, which fuels weight gain. And you know all about stress eating and sugar cravings, right? Now the good news. The studied ingredients in Lean have been shown to help maintain healthy blood sugar levels, help optimize metabolism, and keep your appetite under control. Now, if your life is a bit stressful like mine and you want to lose weight, add Lean to your healthy diet and exercise lifestyle. Now get 15% off and free shipping at takelean.com. That's takelean.com and enter the promo code justnews15. That's the promo code justnews15 at takelean.com. One more time, takelean.com. Statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease, and it's not a substitute or alternative for care from a healthcare provider. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. It's so important that we stay focused on what's going on in the Israel-Hamas war, the gains that Israel is making against, in now perhaps the most difficult phase of the war, against Hamas, against its terrorists, against its leadership, are essential to establishing a long-term peace in the Middle East. Right now, we're going to get a great frontline update from the former Israeli ambassador to the United States, our good friend and great author, by the way, Michael Oren. Mr. Ambassador, good to have you on the show. It is always good to be with you, John. I look forward to the day when we could be talking about your books again, but there's a lot weightier stuff I know on your mind. I want to start with uh, the offensive. It appears that Israel is making some pretty significant gains under very difficult warfare. This is not easy warfare. But um, can you give us your assessment of the uh, the ability to start to eradicate Hamas from Gaza? It's starting to really take hold, isn't it? Yeah, I wonder at some point out there, John, if there's a, is a turning point, there's an inflection point where Hamas begins to come apart, uh, where their command structure uh, begins to unravel, when they no longer can communicate to their various units. Um, you know, I suggested some weeks ago in, a, in an article that, that uh, if it weren't for the hostages under, being held underground by Hamas, Israel could flood the tunnels with seawater. And if you're following the Israeli news for the last 24 hours, this has been, this has been raised, the possibility. That's the Egyptians who did this first um, to the tunnels on their border. Now, you can only do that seawater option if you know the hostages aren't there. But I'm sure they're going to start. They've already blown up something in the order of 500 tunnels. Um, but you can be in flooding them as well. And I think you're going to see um, a, some, some rapid unfolding of events uh, with perhaps very senior uh, Hamas commanders uh, being killed or captured in the next couple of days. 
Yeah, that would be a, that's a big development and um, perhaps the major turning point in this war already. Uh, I know why everyone's focused on the current military action. There are already people in the Israeli government, in the uh, Arab states that are allied or friendly with Israel, thinking about a post-Hamas Gaza, what that looks like. Can you tell us what developments, what ideas are starting to bubble up where there might be some early uh, consensus on things that could benefit the whole region? Well, certainly a consensus on demilitarization. No more rockets, no more rocket uh, workshops, no more arsenals. Uh, de-Hamasification. Right? Hamas will not be the leadership in any way, form, uh, in Gaza. Uh, for Israel's perspective, we're going to need a sort of a buffer zone around the border. It could be as much as a mile, even two miles deep. I don't get near that border again. Um, reconstruction. Reconstruction, including the laying of, a, of an infrastructure, which Hamas deprived Gaza of an infrastructure. There's no water in Gaza because Hamas took all the pipes and made them into rockets. It uh, dug the tunnels and drained the aquifer. Uh, there's no electricity because Hamas took all the fuel and actually blew up fuel lines that were leading from Israel. So it, it, make, making a, a modern infrastructure, uh, water reclamation, sewage treatment is crucial. Um, and then the big question, what Palestinians? <laughs> there, this is where the consensus sort of breaks down. Um, the uh, Biden administration intimated they'd like to move the Palestinian Authority uh, from Ramallah uh, to Gaza, um, but they say a revamped Palestinian Authority. What does that mean? The Palestinian Authority is headed by Mahmoud Abbas now in the 19th year of his four-year term. Um, and he won't stand for re-election because he knows Hamas would win. Fabulously corrupt, unpopular. Uh, I, last time they were in Gaza, they survived about a, a year and a half before Hamas overthrew them. Uh, so that's probably not a great idea. Um, finding a Palestinian leadership that is you know, relatively uncorrupt, be nice if it was democratically elected. But the most important thing is that it's going to care more about its own people and its own children than it does about massacring our people and our children. And uh, that may be right now a high, a high bill to pay because, uh, according to all polls, Hamas remains remarkably popular. Yeah, it is remarkable. And uh, sometimes you, when you're captive, you end up bonding with the people that have you captive. But there seems to be a moment where when life feels what life feels like after Hamas might feel different and realize, oh, we, we didn't know what we were missing all along. There's an education process that has to occur, doesn't there, for the, the residents of Gaza? Oh, it's amazing. Hamas child, literally from the time that child can walk, maybe even before, they're taught that the, the most sacred thing they can do is massacre a Jew in the most heinous way. Then they go to nursery school, they go to kindergarten, learn the same thing. They go to summer camp and learn the same things. So you have to, you know, so re-educate. It's going to take a generation. It's going to take a generation. And um, it, it, again, it's going to be a very difficult task to find that type of moderate leadership that cares about its own people. Um, it's not like you have a lot, a lot of models uh, to, to base yourself on. Yeah. Um, you wrote a very powerful column on Substack. And uh, and it, it ties together the history from World War II to today and uh, the extraordinary um, uh, media fascination with Gaza. It has more sympathy than perhaps all the other victims of war in the last uh, 70 years. Um, there seems to be a moment where the media itself needs to have an honest conversation. How does Israel and its allies on this side of the pond, how do they force that conversation? How do they get to a point where the media realizes they've sort of hijacked a little bit of this debate as well? Uh, I'm skeptical about that happening uh, because we've seen this movie many, many times before. 
And the, the media does it every single time. Media basically, not all the media, but in general, I mean, I just had an interview with the BBC a little while ago. I wouldn't recommend that to anybody. Um, <laughs> it's, 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 basically it, it's basically, it's not just, it, it's basically carrying out Hamas's strategy. What is Hamas's strategy? It's this. Hamas knows it can't destroy us. All right? It can kill 1,200 people, massacre them. It can take hostages. It can fire 10,000 rockets at us. But it can't destroy us. What it can do is create a situation where we can't defend ourselves. We don't have legitimacy. How you do that, you, you, you get images of Palestinian suffering nonstop through the media. Uh, and the media loses track of the fact that Hamas is using these civilians as human shields. That's not even being stated anymore half the time. And that creates pressures on governments to impose a ceasefire through the Security Council. And uh, if we don't listen to the Security Council, then it goes to the International Criminal Court and we get sanctioned and boycotted. Now, a ceasefire means Hamas gets away with mass murder. It means Israel, large swaths of Israel will no longer be inhabitable. So it's a loss for us. And this is how Hamas plans to to defeat us. And it's a brilliant scheme. And the media plays right along with it. And I see it every, every single time, every time. Uh, in my, my recent BBC article interview today, they didn't even mention the word Hamas. Didn't, not even, didn't even come up. It's all about, all about Israel having a strategy of killing Palestinian civilians. And I try to explain that, you know, morally and strategically, killing Palestinian civilians is, 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 is against our interest, morally because we're a moral army, but strategically, it makes no sense. Why would we want to kill Palestinian civilians if killing civilians will increase the pressure on international on governments to impose a ceasefire, which means our death. It makes no sense. And uh, so you make that case. And by the way, the case they never make is rather than calling on Israel to stop you know, causing civilian casualties, why don't they call on Hamas to surrender <laughs> and give up the hostages? Because the minute Hamas surrenders, the war ends. That, that very second, the war ends. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's exactly it. It's the end point. Uh, you had a very important op-ed in the Wall Street Journal a couple of days ago uh, suggesting that perhaps the smartest plan that could uh, get on the ground running quick is the Peace to Prosperity plan that uh, was developed by Israel in the United States under President Trump. Uh, tell us why that has a lot of appeal to both sides, even though maybe the Palestinian people don't see it yet. But there, there's a win-win in that plan, isn't there? Well, I, that, that article had an interesting origin. Uh, this is the first time I'm going to tell you too publicly, okay? There was an article several weeks ago by Tom Friedman in the New York Times. And, and he used to say, uh, I don't often agree with what Tom writes, but he did say that the Trump peace plan was a good peace plan. And now would be a good time to dust it off. And um, so with that, I, I contacted the uh, Jason Greenblatt, who was the chief negotiator on that plan. And I, I was an advisor on that plan. And I thought, you know, having been involved in the peace process since, since the time of Yitzhak Rabin, I was in the Rabin government um, 30 years ago, it was the best peace plan we ever got. It was the only peace plan that actually reflected reality. The other peace plans were aspirational, but they weren't realistic. And, um, and Israel accepted, you had, you had the advantage of the fact that Netanyahu had already embraced the plan. And the Palestinians had rejected it, rejected it without even reading it. And President Biden was looking for some way for Israel to help uh, him help us by showing we were interested in, in, a, in a peaceful solution after, this, after the smoke clears. So Jason and I thought that, that let's, let's, let's dust off the program and remind people what was in this peace plan, remind people that, that a previous Netanyahu government had 
very enthusiastically supported it. Uh, and that uh, that the Biden administration, though any word that any plan that has the word Trump on it is toxic, uh, they had now since uh, embraced the Abraham Accords, and we're working to expand the Abraham Accords. So there's a precedent there, and if you can get you know get past the keyword, um, this was a great plan, and uh, so we published it. And it's interesting that we, we got attacked by the right and the left. <laughs> we got, I mean, you're doing something got, right. That may actually be a right. good side. Yeah. We, we got attacked. <laughs> we got attacked by the left because of because of the because of the keyword because of Trump, and we got attacked by the left because of the two state solution. Um, but what people missed the point of the article, which was how do we gain time and space for the IDF to do its crucial work, and to give the IDF a crucial space, we have to also uh, help. Uh, President Biden to help us. And uh, that's what the article was really about. Wow. It's uh, it's uh, an amazing moment in the, the dynamic. And uh, I think the reckoning comes as soon as Hamas is defeated, which doesn't seem like it's going to be that far off, given the success that's already there. But the opportunity to, to create a generation or more of uh, peace and prosperity in the region for the Palestinians is really a real possibility if the right people emerge and the right people engage at the right moment. And um, it's going to be interesting to watch that. I want to finish with something that we talked, we touched on a couple times ago when we had you on. Uh, there's been some significant leaks since then, but the intelligence failures that preceded uh, the attacks, uh, it seems as though there's a lot of detail out there now that isn't disputed. Um, what are the learnings that need to occur uh, and how soon do they have to occur for the people of Israel, the people of America, the people of Palestine to feel good uh, that um, corrections will be made, that something like this doesn't happen again in the future? Well, I think after every um, intelligence failure, and, and, and keep in mind, I've, I've been in government for a long time, I've been in the military for a long time. Intelligence is not, you know, it's not a science. And you go on probabilities. I, I remember back in 2011, the, the U.S. intelligence and Israeli intelligence telling us that Bashar al-Assad, would not be in power longer than two more months. And guess what? He's still here. He's still here. I remember when, when, when the Trump administration recognized Jerusalem as Israel's capital, the Israeli estimate, intelligence estimate, and the American intelligence estimate was that the entire Middle East would go up in flames. And guess what? Nothing happened. <laughs> so it's not a perfect science in any way. So it, but here, you know, I think um, you know, there are estimates all the time. They go up the chain of command. And uh, they're either taken seriously or not. We have to figure out why this wasn't taken seriously. I think the, the initial reaction that I've heard was that the person, the most senior officer who read this said, well, this, this is quite a detailed plan, but it's aspirational for Hamas. Hamas actually doesn't have the, 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 the logistical or tactical ability to take this out. What bothered me most about that was not that nobody took the plan seriously, it was that somebody leaked this plan to the New York Times. And that, you have to ask the question, okay, what's behind the leak? Is it an attempt by Netanyahu to pin the blame on the military or the military to pin the blame on Netanyahu? And uh, it depends who read the report last, which we're going to find out when the investigation uh, occurs. Yeah. And also some of this intel comes in before Netanyahu is back in power, which is also another a complicating factor, which is the, the the potential neglect actually stretches out over a period of time. And uh, it's it, it, this is probably going to be a much more complicated review when it all when it all gets done. Michael, what are you looking for? We got one more. Just up. I'll say something very, very basic. I don't have time, but just something very basic in this. Again, being in government, being in the military, we've been, had five rounds of fighting with Hamas, and each time the same question come up: Should Israel go in there and destroy Hamas? 
And each time the reaction was, the people of Israel are unwilling to pay the price, which is 500 Israeli soldiers dead. And it took the horrors of October 7th to convince us that it's worth it. And we're losing soldiers every day, but Israel remains completely committed to fulfilling this task. Uh, there's not a second. No one's going out and protesting in the street saying stop the war. And uh, that's an extraordinary event, but it took the horrors of October 7th to convince us of that. It's amazing how the terrorists actually say, sealed their own fate with their own uh, hostility and hatred and uh, atrocity. It's really remarkable. Last question for you. I know we got to get going. The um, There's going to be a lot of developments in the next couple of weeks. I think it's a really critical time. What are the benchmarks, the telltale signs of what we in America should be looking so we can support Israel? Well, I think that uh, the Biden administration is under tremendous pressure politically. Uh, paying a political price, the president is. I'm sure that people in the administration are looking at him and saying, you know, why are you jeopardizing our jobs uh, with your support for Israel? Um, and so what you have to look for is, is further wavering. Um, and I've been charting this very quickly, uh, very closely uh, for weeks now. Uh, the administration's initial position was, um, you know, complete support for Israel's right to defend itself and destroy Hamas, but also Israel should uh, accord with international law to what we had just several days ago with uh, the vice president giving a speech, what was all about Israel, the need to cut down civilian casualties and have Israel uh, accord with international law, where the implication is that we're not acting according to international law, which is very severe. It's not true. Um, so I think we're going to see um, further indications that uh, administration officials will be tapping their wristwatches and saying, uh, my friends, Israelis, uh, time is running out. And um, that clock is going to be running. And what, again, I can't stress enough, John, time and space. This is what we need. Um, it sounds like a, 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 a <laughs> peculiar riff on John Levin, Lennon, but we've we got to give war a chance here. Yeah, no, there's no, no doubt about it. The only way to get peace is to give war a chance. Yeah, because all the other solutions have failed. I mean, every other option has been tried, and it results in the same calamity as the one before. This one, obviously, the most severe and, and most brutal I've ever witnessed in Israel since the Holocaust. But uh, there's enough failure in trying to negotiate with Hamas. There seems to be eradication is the only option. It is. And, uh, you know, the reason we're at this point is because everyone stops us always before we reach the critical point of victory. Let us have the victory, and that'll be a victory, I believe, sincerely, it'll be a victory for the Palestinians as well. Yeah, there's no doubt. There's no doubt about it. They have a lot to gain in this. They may not know it yet, but the, I think the, the future holds a brighter future for Palestine once Hamas is out of, the, out of leadership. So, sir, it is a great honor to have you on. We always get a lot of great intelligence here, some things that often don't get in the media here. We're so grateful for your time today. And I'm grateful to you too, John. Be well. Thank you. You will. Uh, be safe there. Thank you, sir. Folks, don't go anywhere. When we come back, yep, you got it right. Right around the corner, Bobby Charles and AMAC Wednesday, our great conversation with a national spokesman for AMAC and also one of the great learned observers in all of Washington right after these messages. Folks, everyone knows the next medical crisis is just around the corner, whether it comes in the form of a pandemic or something much more mundane like a tick bike. You and your family need to be prepared. That's what we learned from this last pandemic, right? That's where the wellness company comes in. You know the wellness company. We have their great doctors like Dr. Peter McCullough on all the time on our shows. The wellness company and their doctors are medical professionals that you can trust. And the new medical emergency kits are the gold standard when it comes to keeping you safe and healthy, and most importantly, prepared. 
Be ready for anything. This medical emergency kit contains an assortment of life-saving medications, including ivermectin and z The medical emergency kit provides a guidebook to aid in the safe use of all of these life-saving medications. So you know what you're doing. From anthrax to tick bites to COVID and even the bioweapon like the plague, the wellness company's medical emergency kit is exactly what you need to have on hand to be prepared. Rest assured knowing that you have emergency antibiotics, antivirals, and antiparasitics on hand to keep you and your family safe from whatever the globalists throw your way. Go to www.twchealth/justnews today in order. That's twc.health/justnews and use the promo code justnews to save 10%. Hey folks, John Solomon here from John Solomon Reports. I'm proud to be on the iHeartRadio app every day with my podcast, with the news that we bring, the exclusive interviews. And you know what else is great? You can listen to any iHeartRadio station anywhere in the country inside this free app. I used to listen to all sorts of radio on my AM or FM radio. Today, I don't have time to be in the car that often. You know where I listen? I listen on the iHeartRadio app. It's awesome. And they have some really cool new features, unlike anything else in the market. One of them is called Talk Back Mic. Anytime I have something to say, I tap the mic and send my voice message and then listen to hear my voice on one of my favorite shows. Isn't that cool? You can send a message to your favorite disc jockey, your favorite podcast show host. So be sure to download the iHeart app radio. If you don't have it right now, the iHeart radio app is a winner. Be sure to download the free iHeart radio app today and start streaming your favorite radio stations, your favorite podcasts, and your favorite music playlists right from the iHeart radio app. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. It is Wednesday, so you know what it is. It's AMAC Wednesday, our chance to have a great conversation with our friends at the Association of Mature American Citizens. Joining us right now, their national spokesman, a man who has had some of the most important jobs in Washington over his long career, including as a federal appeals clerk, as a chief investigative counsel and chief of staff for the House Oversight Committee, and as an assistant secretary of state with significant national security functions. Joining us right now, our good friend, Bobby Charles. Bobby, good to have you back on. Hey, John, it's good to be here. You know, the world never, they never, never wake up and, and there's nothing to talk about. So <laughs> ready to go. That is for sure. Oh my goodness. We live in, we're living in consequential times and uh, every day that becomes more and more apparent. I want to turn to a favorite subject. You and I have spent a lot of time talking about impeachment and Joe Biden. The last week has had some really significant revelations about the president himself. Uh, so much of the early debate was about Hunter and the grifting and the influence peddling. But now we're getting a clearer and clearer evidence that Joe Biden was directly involved in this operation. And so I want to start with, are we, after yesterday's revelation, that there are direct payments from Hunter Biden to his dad that come from an account that got infused with China money, they say it's for a loan for a truck, but in either case, it's money that came in from China and went to the benefit of Joe Biden. We've got all the other things that have dropped in the last few weeks. Has the impeachment inquiry reached a tipping point where everyday Americans say there's enough now? I think, John, it has. And I, I think I'll go a step further and say that two things really come out of what we have just recently learned. Not that most people didn't think there was enough smoke to uh, to believe there was a fire there. But when you get a pattern or practice uh, of regular payments, three a month to 
the president of the United States by his son from an account into which China, perhaps Romania and Ukraine are putting money. Uh, it is it, it, and you have the, the actions of the president favoring those countries uh, and, and in some ways illicitly and and, um, and and absolutely on record. And then you have documentary support and then you have the, uh, you know, everything from demeanor evidence to lies on the part of the president previously about being completely uninvolved, having no knowledge, et cetera, et cetera. It, you get past a tipping point on credibility, as, as in the average person, even the average, let's say, moderate Democrat is going to have to look at this evidence. And I, I think they're going to have to say this is just beyond what I can support. The, the absence of integrity is so transparent that I cannot in good conscience say that the means, uh, the ends justify the means anymore. But I think there are two concrete effects. One is that I think Senate Democrats, particularly those up for reelection this year, are in serious trouble because uh, independent of who they make their nominee, these facts just glare. Uh, they uh, speak of of uh, flashing lights. These 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 facts are just impossible to look away from. And so what do you do as a Senate Democrat? You either have to part with your party and ultimately vote on impeachment before this uh, session is out or uh, you you say, I'm going to defend corruption, and then you pay the price at the polls at the end of the year. The other thing I think that, that I guess I just have to mention here is that, you know, Watergate is the wrong analogy. Um, you know, the Chase impeachment uh, 150 years ago is the wrong analogy. The, the uh, the the uh, you know the Lincoln vice president um, is is a, is, a, is the wrong example, but there's something here that talks to cover up, and it, it when you see this evidence come out now, you know that Merrick Garland knew this, you know that the FBI knew this, you know that the Treasury Secretary knew this, and so it, you have to ask what are the radiating circles of cover up that are now the next layer to peel back on this onion. Um, it's ironic. It's almost as, as if we're peeling the onion back in reverse. We have the center of the onion. Uh, now we need to get to who, how many layers out did it radiate that people knew about these facts, covered them up, ignored them, hoped and prayed that somehow uh, the press would, would, would run interference. And they haven't run interference. Well, they have. But now it's going to be almost impossible to run interference because you have hard documents out there. So I, I think, John, that we are at a tipping point. It is pretty remarkable to see the moment we live in because beyond one of the largest influence peddling operations where they clearly were just selling the family name to foreigners who had problems and wanted influence. And what's interesting is even as we were being told it wasn't true, the banks were reporting it as that. In fact, there's that great bank warning. I think it's from Wells Fargo saying, hey, this looks like a Chinese influence operation. So people in the banking industry saw what Hunter Biden was doing and saying, hey, they're trying to gain influence with his father. It looks like money laundering. There's no basis for the loan. There's no business reason for the cash funds. All of that became apparent to people who are experts in this. But in 2020, Joe Biden looked in the camera to secure the presidency, to deflect the criticisms that Donald Trump had, had done to, to impugn my reporting and said, I didn't get my family didn't get China money. I had nothing to do with my son's company. All of those now have been proven lies. So even with all the details of influence peddling, when a president lied and looked into the camera and lied to the American people, do you think voters are going to remember that in 2024, that this guy assured us this wasn't true? He told us the laptop was Russian disinformation. It wasn't. He said he didn't get China money. They got millions of China money. Do, it does the Just the idea that the most personal 
political choice we make in our lives. The president of the United States lied to us. Do you think that that has some consequence as well? I do, John. And I, I think that um, it's important, you know, and I, I've, I've thought this all my life. Uh, it's important because I, I have a tendency to get impassioned about things. It's important that when you get angry, frustrated, you see you've been lied to you. And a lot of Republicans feel this way, whether it's about this or, or several other issues at the front. Um, it, you have to be dispassionate in the way that you present it to others so that they will take the time to see it. And I, I think one way to look at this is probability theory. Uh, I have a couple of kids that are math physics kids, and they always remind me of these things. But, you know, it is. And, and so here's how probability theory works. And we use it in the law. We just don't talk about it as probability theory. The more pieces of evidence that you have that corroborate earlier pieces of evidence, the more likely it is that the outcome is the one that you originally thought it was. It's the same way that a doctor operates. If a doctor looks at five symptoms, the first question they should ask is, are these symptoms related? Uh, do we have a disease that is that is that is traceable to these five symptoms or are they completely unrelated? And, and, and truthfully, what we're seeing here is rock solid corroboration for some of the early for some of the early discoveries like the, the, the laptop, which had very indicting things on it about about Biden. But he did not he denied them. And of course, the press covered them up. And so, you know, I think, John, we're at a point where the average smart American, I don't care what their politics are. The average smart American with integrity is going to have to look at these facts and either consciously look away from them and say, I'll, I'll, I'll invest in a crook because I don't want I'll compromise my soul uh, because I really don't want something else. Or they're going to have to say, you know what, uh, this is ugly. This is really not me. This is not who America is and it's not who I am. And I think that's 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 really what the line we're approaching, John. Yeah, no, I think that that's exactly right. The Biden family got away with a lot in 2020, but it seems as though memories are long now and voters don't like to be lied to. It's just one of those things that you get to your state legislator, you get to your congressman, you don't know that person as well, but everybody feels like they know the president, that the president responds to them or is responsive to them because it's the most important job in our land. And that personal sense of betrayal, I think, is going to become pretty significant as we move into 2024, if the Republicans can make his honesty an issue in the election. The, the evidence is there, and I think the, the sense of betrayal is there. It seems it has to be picked out a little bit to get there. Another area where Joe Biden's record is becoming painfully aware, I just spent the weekend with several dozen families who lost loved ones to fentanyl. The fentanyl crisis, the open border crisis, the illegal criminal conduct after people come into the country, the illegal aliens piling up in cities like New York, where they can't even house them all anymore. It seems to me as though we have reached a a moment where Americans think that the border isn't just an issue for Texas and Arizona anymore, or California, or wherever the border states are. It's for every state. Do you think that the border becomes a big issue in 2024? Oh, there's no, there's no question, John. I mean, I, if we weren't there already, you know, my mind flashes to sort of uh, James Dean and Rebel Without a Cause, the accelerators on, the doors uh, ajar, and it's time to jump out because that car's going over the cliff. I mean, what we see right now is uh, you see a, a, a head of the FBI finally admitting that everything is flashing terror, foreign terror. And the reason is foreign, foreign terror isn't just because of October 7. It's because Israel, which has a perimeter that is very well surveilled and very well uh, walled. In fact, it's they have walls that go all the way down to the water table. We, we don't have anything like that on our southern border or our northern border. 
And we've had uh, almost, I think, 600 uh, people show up on the terror watch list. I, I have to get the exact number, but it's like maybe maybe 659 show up on the terror watch list uh, under Biden. We had, I think, 11 show up on the terror watch list under Trump. And, and, and the most increasing in, incredible part is that because we have drones and we have cameras and we have other surveillance technology, we know that there are roughly 1.7 million gotaways. Um, and, and what that means is that within that group, uh, by the way, why do people show up in the gap between border outposts when they could just claim asylum? And this administration has religiously uh, given them a hotel room, given them three square meals, put them on a track to be, stay here five to seven years on a work permit, um, you know, ushered them through the door, you know, with bows and curtsies. Why would you not do that? And the answer is the reason that 1.7 didn't take the free lunch and all the free benefits and the medical benefits and everything else is because they don't want to be fingerprinted. Now, who doesn't want to be fingerprinted? Uh, who doesn't want to be fingerprinted are drug traffickers who brought enough fentanyl into this country over that border in the last year to kill about 110,000 young Americans. And those numbers are going to be higher next year. Um, th there's just no way to reverse it. Uh, this, this administration has given the nod and the wink to both China and to Mexico on fentanyl. But it's also sex trafficking. It's also human trafficking, uh, it, which is degrading in the extreme. It's also uh, the terrorists. And, you know, I'll, I'll add, which I, I think I've mentioned once before, that open source data is showing that you have roughly half of those coming over the border are from the Eastern Hemisphere. So they're from North Africa, they're from the Middle East, or they're from pieces of the Far East. And those people are here for one reason. There's an open invitation. That border is wide open. You can come into this country without consequences. And of course, if you think Hamas and Hezbollah and Iran who hate America as much or more than they hate uh, Israel, who've already, you know, dropped dozens of, 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 of drones in on our locations in the Middle East in the last four weeks, uh, if you don't think that they want to get in here and stir holy hell, then you're not thinking, because that's exactly what they want to do. And you've got an open border. So I think that's why, for example, Chris Ray yesterday, you know, FBI says we have flashing, I think he called them blinking lights everywhere on terrorist threats. We're at a worse position than we've been at at any time except prior to 9-11. So, Mr. Biden, you have delivered to our doorstep a tipping, ticking time bomb. And unless we can get those people out of here, uh, we're, we got real trouble. Yeah. When he said all the lights are blinking red, that, that was a pretty dramatic moment in that hearing. And they weren't blinking red when Donald Trump handed the, handed the keys over to Joe Biden. So this is a development that clearly happened on Joe Biden's watch in for a long time, they've tried to ignore the border crisis. It seems as though now that the momentum is moving towards not only American voters being outraged by it, but perhaps someone like a Mayorkas being impeached. Do you think that there is a momentum to actually get enough votes to authorize an impeachment against Alejandro Mayorkas, the Homeland Security Secretary? Yeah, you know, I suppose in many ways, John, what we're looking at um, again, trying to be dispassionate is you have all this evidence piled up against this president, but y you also have that what I would call sideshows 
you know, th- there's the center circle in the circus, and then there are the side circles, and and a couple of the side circles. This is a big one, uh, is DHS, and uh, and the way that they have really lied to the American people. Uh, look, the bad guys don't believe for one minute that our border is closed. They know it's open. Uh, the notion that, that we're all going to be taken for fools uh, by Mallorca. So could he be impeached? Yes, it, it. I think it does the same thing. These side circles do the same thing the center circle does in this circus, and that is, it forces Senate Democrats to look at the facts and deny them. And then it forces average voters to look at the facts and either decide I'm not going to vote for either candidate or I'm going to vote for the Republican candidate uh, or I'm going to vote for somebody I don't like, a third party candidate. Better, I like a third party candidate. But they're not, you know, it's an integrity issue, John. It is. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. It really is an integrity issue. And we're living at a point now where, Americans feel that their integrity has been violated, their trust has been violated, their border's integrity has been violated. It's They feel like they're in a throw-the-bums-out mode, I think, and it'll be very interesting to watch to see if that actually actually happens. All right, folks, don't go anywhere. More of our exclusive interview with Bobby Charles right after these messages. Folks, if you owe back taxes, fair warning, you're not going to like this. The IRS is mailing millions of pay up letters. Millions, I say. Then it's up to the 20,000 new IRS enforcement agents to find you. Why the IRS targets you and not millionaires? Well, because millionaires have tax lawyers. You don't, you'll pay up. Plus interest and penalties. You need Tax Network USA and you need them now. Tax Network USA has brilliant war room strategies to solve your IRS problems quickly and in your favor. Like a preferred direct line to the IRS, they know which agents to deal with and who to avoid. It's not all bad news for you because Tax Network USA learned of a special limited time IRS offer. They're willing to waive $1 billion in penalties if you qualify. So schedule your free confidential consultation to see if you qualify for this limited time IRS penalty canceling offer. To do so, call 1-800-245-6000. That's 1-800-245-6000. Or visit tnusa.com slash justnews. That's tnusa.com slash justnews. Folks, if you owe back taxes, fair warning, you're not going to like this. The IRS is mailing millions of pay-up letters. Millions, I say. Then it's up to the 20,000 new IRS enforcement agents to find you. Why the IRS targets you and not millionaires? Well, because millionaires have tax lawyers. You don't, you'll pay up. Plus interest and penalties. You need Tax Network USA and you need them now. Tax Network USA has brilliant war room strategies to solve your IRS problems quickly and in your favor. Like a preferred direct line to the IRS, they know which agents to deal with and who to avoid. It's not all bad news for you because Tax Network USA learned of a special limited time IRS offer. They're willing to waive $1 billion in penalties if you qualify. So schedule your free confidential consultation to see if you qualify for this limited time IRS penalty canceling offer. To do so, call 1-800-245-6000. That's 1-800-245-6000. Or visit tnusa.com slash justnews. That's tnusa.com slash justnews. 
All right, folks, welcome back. More of our exclusive interview with Bobby Charles. I want to turn to a couple other topics that I think are on a lot of people's front lines. And one of them is the weaponization of the FBI. We got new information on a story we broke here at Just the News about four or five months ago. This memo where the FBI was targeting traditional Catholics as potential extremists, as terrorist threats. When it came out, the FBI distanced itself, saying, ah, we really had nothing to do with that. That was a one-off guy. By the end of this week, middle of this week, we've got brand new evidence showing that this was pretty widely discussed. And it didn't seem at the beginning until the public outcry for anyone in the FBI to say, hey, we shouldn't be looking at people based on their faith. And what basis is a preferring a Latin mass and Catholic to terrorism? The FBI's original count doesn't seem to hold up. But really, what's more shocking, I think, is the fact that no one in the FBI saw anything wrong with this originally. No one stood up and said, hey, stop, what are you doing? Have we lost sense of civil liberties in the FBI? I really think, John, we have. And I'll tell you, even though that's a strong statement, why? You know, um, the loss of appreciation for someone else's rights is like an infectious disease. It, it catches in one place, you know, an attorney general sets up a task force and decides that it's okay to use a terrorist statute to go after, intimidate, actually harass, prosecute, question parents for speaking up on behalf of their children at a school board. And the next thing happens, someone else in that same organization says, you know, uh, all this domestic terrorism stuff, I mean, they, they kind of look away from the border, all this domestic terrorism stuff, you know, that's probably driven by Donald Trump. And besides, you know, it's probably racist. And there's probably, I, I think I see some shadows over there, too. And the next thing that you, you it's like a, it's like a kumbaya circle, everybody decides to, to uh, falsely uh, reinforce the other. It's crowd think. I mean, there, there's, there's big books written, like Manker Olson on groupthink and mob think. Well, the same thing happens inside organizations. And that is exactly what's going on in the FBI. They, I, I'm an Orthodox Christian. I'm not Catholic. But, you know, let me just give you some numbers. 240 million Americans, John, consider themselves Christians. Now, that might be, might be Baptist. It might be Methodist. I don't care what it is. But they, they, faith is important enough to them uh, that, that two-thirds or three-quarters of this country believes them. And then there are Muslims, and then there are, uh, there are Jews, and then there are uh, Buddhists, and they all consider their faith important to them. And we consider, in fact, George Washington and James Madison wrote to one another in letters, and so did Thomas Jefferson, that this is, this is no matter what your faith is, it is central. It's why Madison, incidentally, put, insisted that this be in the first of our amendments which would protect all the others, and that the second would protect the first. This is why we have this. So, but here's the thing that Democrats don't really understand. When you allow the administrative side of the executive branch to go crazy and start going after Americans and targeting them for their faith, which is what they've done, you misunderstand how Americans think. It's not only the 240 million who are Christians at large, but between 1960 and today, the number of Catholics in this country has grown from 45 million to 72 million. And, and, and by the way, so have a number of other faiths, even though people often don't go to church, they clearly see themselves as aligned with that faith. When you start targeting people for their faith, you, you, you've, you've, you've bled over into Bolshevik think. This is not how we think as Americans. That is, if someone showed up at my door and said, this is my faith, and they're wearing it around their neck or they're carrying it on their, in their arm, that is their faith. And we, we, we always respect that. So the fact that our, never mind that some neighbor doesn't respect it, the fact that the FBI, the, the premier law enforcement organization in the United States, 
has decided that Catholics and Christians are going to be considered uh, suspect terrorists. It's outrageous. Yeah, no, it is. You're exactly right. It is. And it's, I think, uh, to many people, very disturbing to see the lack of awareness that they're, they're, they're intruding on the First Amendment. Uh, you take that plus the big debate now going in Congress, will they renew Section 702 of the FISA Code or will they change it and require a warrant when searching through Americans' records? In the last two years, at least for the for which we have records, the FBI blew past its own civil liberty protections 278,000 times when looking at Americans' records. We're not talking about foreigners. They violated their own rules. When you hear that, it does seem as though the FBI, and the FBI director always glosses over, like, oh, I got some new rules. Don't worry, we'll do it. But it seems like civil liberties, whether it's your phone records and your phone data, your faith, all the requests that went to social media companies to censor speech with a guy named Elvis Chan, it seems as though there is a larger issue, almost like the FBI needs to be retrained on the basics of the Constitution. Do you think Congress is doing enough to put strictures on the FBI as it runs roughshod over a lot of our key civil liberties? Well, John, I think between stories like the one you broke and the work that they've started to do now, they're beginning to get on it. But I, I think it's a little bit late. I mean, as an oversight guy for five years myself, I will tell you that um, even back then, it was like a smorgasbord of oversight issues. I mean, you have to pick and choose because there's so much out there that isn't done right. But I think this one ought to come to the top. And I'll say, if I may, the last two topics that we just hit here, um, you know, spontaneously, if I can say, I want to tie that shoelace together. The fact that they have targeted um, Americans on their faith, and in particular Christians, and in particular more conservative Christians, as a as a suspect uh, pool for surveillance and integration and undercover operations against Americans at large is is not an accident. If you look at it as a deflection from uh, a deflection from the uh, the southern border uh, disaster and the increase in foreign terrorism uh, that is afoot in this country. In other words, this is, I mean, I hate to, to, to draw a line dot to dot, but I think one of the things we're looking at here is that this administration has fallen on their face when it comes to national security issues. And the border is a clear blinking, to borrow from the FBI, a blinking red light when it comes to national security. And and, and what have they done? I mean, it, it, on the one hand, I guess you could say it's just an accident in the sense that they've been distracted by their own uh, by their own delusions. And there's an opportunity cost when you target Americans at home. And that is that you're not looking abroad. But I would go a step further and say, I think it's also very possible that in order to get people to look away from the threat that they've created at the southern border and all these cities and in the in the 11 sanctuary states. And, and, and you've got this elevated, highly elevated. I think he said highest. I, I can't remember the exact wording he used, but Ray, but at the FBI, but a truly elevated terror threat may very well be the result of the fact that you have or may be related to the fact that you have misdefined terrorism and decided that you're going to put your agents and your task forces together to look at parents at school board meetings and Catholics going to church. And to me, that's that's utterly obnoxious. It's a it's two sides of a coin that are both dirty. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. It really is. It's a pretty remarkable equation. And I can't imagine when I was growing up, or even in my early life as a journalist, seeing so many of our civil liberties run roughshod. I mean, yesterday we watched these Ivy League 
presidents, uh, university presidents, uh, talk, and they they literally were unaware of what they look like to the American people, how tolerant and how they are of anti-Semitism, but intolerant of conservative views. And you are so right. Yeah, it, it was amazing to me. I mean, I literally was like, do they know what they look like to everyday Americans? And I don't think they did. They've been trapped in this Ivy League elitist environment for so long. But somebody tweeted yesterday, I think it might have been the former Israeli ambassador to the United States, said, or the former U.S. ambassador to Israel, the Ivy League died today. And he said that basically these professors just convinced an entire generation of parents, don't send your kids to these people. How big a moment was yesterday's hearings for exposing sort of a mentality that's been festering for so long? Well, I mean, John, I don't know how I survived Ivy League schools because I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't survive today. I'm telling yeah, you right no, now. Exactly. I was, a, I was a lucky kid that got a scholarship and thought that was someplace I ought to go. And, and, and when I went to school, it wasn't like that. But it's worse than professors. Those were the presidents of three Ivy League institutions, including Harvard. And, and what did they say? They talk about needing to be get retrained on what the Constitution says. They have the they, those three happen to have some of the worst records out there for free speech on their campuses where people are physically uh, uh, persecuted for. And by the way, so are some students for having free speech, for exercising their free speech rights. And then you have groups that show up on their campus advocating for what is is terrorism. I mean, and not even making any uh, uh, I mean, what is anti-Semitism? Yes. But anti-Semitism in combination with the advocacy of groups that are, 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 are surrogates, proxies for Iran uh, to, to conduct terror. I, I don't understand how. I mean, so the way that the dividing line under constitutional law typically is, and I, I heard them, I listened to that testimony. The way it works under constitutional law is if you are inciting specific acts of violence, that is what we don't permit. We do permit someone to say, hey, I have diverse ideas. Uh, I, I tend to think my faith says this and I think that and, and you know, and this I think this law is wrong and I think that law is right. Yeah, those are those are the ironically, those are the things they're shutting down on their campuses while at the same time. So diversity of ideas gets shut down. People get persecuted literally uh, either grade wise or professors get fired. Go look at the cases. Uh, or they're forced to resign or they're forced to be sanctioned uh, for just simply using free speech, the rights that we've always used. Go back to, again, go back to the precedents that stand on the books uh, and have for 200 years. And instead, they're allowing, you know, they're waving the green flag on things that we don't tolerate, which are the advocacy of violence, political violence in particular, in this country. I mean, from the Chaplinsky case forward, which is more than 100 years old, we do not permit political violence to be advocated, uh, specific political violence to be advocated in this country. And we do permit all of those other ideas that, uh, that get shut down. So it, it bothers me what's going on in the campuses, but I would say, you know, diseases like the disease of intolerance are infectious. Uh, at first it's tolerated here and then it's tolerated there. And, and, and what we have right now, John, I think is a grand awakening in many ways on the part of the country. They're realizing that uh, wait a minute. There are people in our midst who are advocating for things that fundamentally uh, uh, are anti-American and, and political violence is one of them. And, and you can go back to see maybe this started in 2020. Uh, I don't know exactly when it started, but there's an advocacy for it. There's a disinterest in respecting the law, the Supreme Court, uh, the circuit courts. Uh, there's a presidential disinterest in respecting the law. You know, the Supreme Court says, it says things like uh, 
says things like uh, student loans are, are cannot be uh, you know waived at, at the executive level, and he goes ahead and does it anyway. Uh, you know, the Supreme Court says no, you have a right to keep and bear arms. Uh, the Fifth Circuit supports it, and the president and Maryland ignore it anyway, and New Mexico ignore it anyway. So there's a disrespect for law. There's an adv- advocacy of things that are I view as politically dangerous and also anti-American, and we in places like AMAC and the rest of the country who believe in the Constitution, I think we just have to thoughtfully, and of course I've violated my own norm here, but dispassionately, if at all possible, say, look, that is not the way America works. It's hard to be dispassionate right now because it feels so personal. The the American experience of free speech and Second Amendment that was absolute feels so tampered with right now. And I think it, it, it creates emotion even when you try not to be emotional. You just feel like you're under an assault, that the the freedom we've always enjoyed is suddenly in peril. And um, these are really remarkable times. It also is a great time to join AMAC because one of the only groups I see every day out there fighting to restore freedom, to restore common sense, to bond millions of people together to make a larger voice, a larger grassroots thunder is AMAC. And there are so many benefits to the membership. I'm a five-year member. It's the best bargain I've ever had. You get your discounts on products and travel. Every time I travel, I pull up my card. I'm always saving money. It pays for itself. But I think the more exciting thing now, as I get deeper and deeper into the AMAC experience, is the ability to find like-minded people like you, Bobby, and others. And we're all working together to make one difference at a time. We, we, we intervene on one thing. Maybe it's the Patient Act today, election integrity observations tomorrow. But the AMAC grassroots opportunities to do civic duty is one of the greatest rewards I think people can experience when they join the group. You've been there a long time. You're their national spokesman. When you tell someone, hey, when you sign up, here's what you can experience, what, what do you tell them? Well, I'll tell you what I tell them. I tell them, John, that I am happy every day when I wake up and know that AMAC is already up before me somewhere in the country out there working to try to save my country. And this organization is really remarkable. It's not like any organization I've ever belonged to, ever. Maybe the Boy Scouts, but other than that, not. It is Norman Rockwell's America at work, uh, turning back concretely. You know, they've got an annual report coming out shortly, turning back dozens and dozens of bad pieces of legislation at the local level, whether it's, you know, ranked choice voting or a false election, uh, you know, integrity change or something that's intended to sort of advance partisanship instead of advancing constitutional principles. They also represent a very strong arm in Washington, pushing for the solvency of this country, making sure that Social Security and all those things that people truly count on Medicare, uh, but also making sure that we stay solvent into the years ahead uh, and we're not solvent. And, And so there's been a lot of recklessness and irresponsibility and they stand for responsibility and being thoughtful about the future. And they have done that for 15 years, uh, more than 15 years. They are incredibly effective. Um, the other thing is, if you are a veteran and 25% of, of, the, uh, of, the, of, the, of the membership, the multi-million membership of AMAC around the country, uh, 25% are veterans um, and about 75% have a veteran somewhere in their, con- in their family, there's a whole foundation dedicated to veterans. And if you have veteran benefit questions, they help you get through that. If you have social security questions, their foundation helps get through that. They are, they're like a, a friend in need and a friend in need is a friend indeed. And we are, AMAC to me is essentially having 
the equivalent of Ronald Reagan as your personal friend and trying to to help you get through the the labyrinth of and also by the way try to downsize the labyrinth of the federal government uh they they do represent john i will say we've talked a lot about the first amendment they represent the second the fourth the fifth the sixth the tenth they are they're very strong in their in what i call their moral compass uh they are so the bottom line is you get all the benefits that you would get from any organization that has worked together to create economies of scale uh, by reaching out to uh, commercial entities and putting them all together. But you get something much bigger than that. You get help for those over the age of 50 in every possible way and, and at the dial of a phone call for no cost. And you also get an advocate in every single one of the states, tens of thousands of people. And if you want to participate and be a delegate and get involved yourself, they'll give you all the paperwork, the training. They'll get you out there to help you do what you can do to save this country. And, and I guess, you know, we only live once. We got one shot at doing everything we can to be equal to our time. And AMAC gives you that shot. Yeah. Uh, someone who's a fellow AMAC member, I was talking to them last week and they said something really profound. You're not joining a service. You're joining a neighborhood. Just think of it as all these 2 million, 2.3 million, 2.5 million people are going to be your neighbors and you all have the same values for the country. I thought that was a really apropos expression of what really goes on. We're always so grateful for the time, Bobby. You always bring so much wisdom. We're also grateful for the great partnership that we have with AMAC. Folks, if you want to join AMAC like Bobby and I have done, all you got to do is go to amac.us slash justnews. AMAC, A-M-A-C dot U-S slash justnews. That's how you get in the game and you will not regret it. It's one of the greatest investments you will make in your lifetime. Sounds great. Thank you, John. And thank all those who are listening for believing in America. Absolutely. All right, folks, thanks for tuning in to the Wednesday edition of John Solomon Reports, the podcast from Justin News. A big shout out to all of our great friends at AMAC. They made this show possible. They make much of the journalism here possible. We've got a great partnership. If you want to say thank you to them, go buy a membership for yourself or give it as a gift this Christmas, amac.us slash justnews, amac, A-M-A-C dot U-S slash just news. And you'll be saying thank you to one of our great strategic partners at Just the News and John Solomon Reports in Just the News, No Noise, the television show. All right, we'll be back tomorrow. Until then, God bless you and have a great night. Can't pay the IRS? Haven't filed in a while? Receiving threatening letters? Yeah, it's about to get worse. The IRS is hiring an army of agents targeting hardworking Americans like you. You need warriors on your side. You need Tax Network USA. Tax Network USA employs brilliant strategies to solve your IRS problems quickly and in your favor. For instance, they've discovered a limited-time special offer that the IRS is willing to waive $1 billion in penalties. Find out if you qualify before it's too late. Never call the IRS alone. Let Tax Network USA attorneys handle it. They have preferred direct lines to the IRS. They know which agents to work with and which to avoid. They've resolved over $1 billion in tax debts and offer a best-in-class guarantee. Schedule your free consultation now. Call 1-800-245-6000. That's 1-800-245-6000. Or visit taxnetworkusa.com slash Victor Tax Network USA dot com slash Victor. 
You know what, folks? Stress may be why you can't lose weight. If you've got moderate to high stress like I do, a doctor-formulated weight loss supplement called Lean could be your solution. Chronic stress wreaks havoc on blood sugar, which can cause your body to store excess fat. Stress can also slow your metabolism, which fuels weight gain. And you know all about stress eating and sugar cravings, right? Now the good news. The studied ingredients in Lean have been shown to help maintain healthy blood sugar levels, help optimize metabolism, and keep your appetite under control. Now, if your life is a bit stressful like mine and you want to lose weight, Add lean to your healthy diet and exercise lifestyle. Now get 15% off and free shipping at takelean.com. That's takelean.com and enter the promo code justnews15. That's the promo code justnews15 at takelean.com. One more time, takelean.com. Statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease, and it's not a substitute or alternative for care from a health care provider.